All right. <clears throat> this morning I'm going to talk about a very controversial subject. A subject that's not controversial between the saved and the unsaved, but difference of opinion between believers. We're going to talk about drinking. Now, what, what do you think about drinking alcoholic beverages? And the, us older people in our lifetime, that generally among Christians, drinking was wrong. Uh, we practice total absence, should not do that. But we, now we live in a generation of believers that see nothing wrong with it. They say, as long as you don't get drunk, you drink in moderation, you drink all you like. And I see many times on Facebook, people that I know are Christians at bars holding up their beer and talking about drinking and how they see nothing wrong with it. So let me ask you, don't answer out loud, what do you think about drinking? Do you feel like it's okay to do as long as you don't get drunk, or do you feel like it's something we should abstain from? Uh, for example, if a neighbor come to you uh, was not saved, and they know that you go to church, and they know that you claim to be a Christian, and say, listen, I have a question for you. Uh, what's your opinion on drinking? Uh, what do you think about drinking alcoholic beverage, having a beer occasionally, or having a glass of wine? What would you say? Now, if you did not know Scripture, you'd probably say, well, if you thought drinking was okay in moderation, say, well, I drink. It helps me relax. I enjoy doing it. It's something that I, I like doing. Now, if that's your reasoning, just think of the things you can justify in life based upon that. I like it. It makes me feel good. I like it. Make, uh, so on like that. But So you can justify so much behavior. But there's a difference of opinion. Some Christians say it's okay. Some say it's not. The Bible says, what does the Bible say? And we're going to look at that this morning. This is a two-part message. We're going to start today and finish up two weeks from today. Next Sunday is Father's Day. I'm not going to talk about preach, drinking on Father's Day. <laughs> so don't worry about that. So we'll continue our study on this drinking two weeks from today. But we're going to talk about uh, the truth about drinking. Let me, first of all, the Bible mentions the word wine 231 times. The word wine in the Bible sometimes refers to grape juice. Sometimes it refers to fermented juice as far as that's alcoholic. It is clearly a widespread topic in the Bible. It is discussed or mentioned in at least 46 out of the 66 books of the Bible. Well-known and famous biblical characters like Lot, Noah, King David, and the disciples drank in the Bible what is called wine. Many Christians, even popular and well-known preachers today, enjoy having a wine, a glass of wine occasionally, and, or a can of beer. What do you think? What's your opinion on this? There are mainly two major positions among God's people. One of them is total abstinence. They should avoid drinking alcoholic beverages at any time. The other is this. They say, drunkenness is clearly wrong, but as long as I can drink in moderation, there's nothing wrong with that. Where do you fall in those two categories? Uh, let me tell you where I fall, where I, where I believe. And this is my opinion, and I believe a Christian should abstain completely from alcohol. And um, I've never drank anything at all, never had a beer, never had wine, never at all, except one time. Now, I got your listening ears. When I was nine years old, I was out mowing the lawn in our, in our house. It was on a hot, sunny day in July. I was soaking wet with sweat. My brother comes out and says, hey, Dave, would you like a glass of ice water? Now, I should have known something's not right. <laughs> my brother typically didn't do that. I love my brother, but he typically didn't offer me a glass of water when I was hot. 
I had an uncle, every time he come to the house, he always snuck in a little alcohol. He would hide it in the house so he could have a little drink and once in a while he was visiting with us. So my brother found a bottle of Smirnoff vodka in the kitchen in the cabinet. And so it looked like water. He put it in a glass of water with ice, brought it out to me. Here you go, nice. And I took a big swig. And, and yeah. <laughs> and I lost all my breath and about passed out. That's the only time I've ever had any kind of alcohol in my body. And so I, I learned from that not to drink that stuff. But basically, what does God say about drinking alcohol? That's what we need to know. As a Christian, hopefully everything you do, you want to do what pleases the Lord. You don't do it simply because you enjoy it. You don't do it simply because it makes you relax, not simply because you like it. You do it because God's word says to or not to. So what does God say about drinking? I'm glad you asked. Interesting, I talked to another preacher recently about this. He asked me what I'm preaching on. I told him, he said, I, he said, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Because <laughs> he realizes in the house of God, there's difference of opinion. But, you know, the pastor's job is to what? Preach the word. So this morning, I want to preach the word on what the Bible says about drinking. First of all, letter A, I hope you take the notes and just write it down. First of all, God commands those in leadership to abstain from drinking. God clearly commands those in leadership to abstain from drinking. First of all, among spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders are told very clearly not to drink alcoholic beverages. Turn them in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, please. The first leaders we're going to look at is the Old Testament priests. The Old Testament priests were clearly communicated to them by God not to drink alcoholic beverages. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, page 169, if you're using a church Bible. Keep your finger in Proverbs. We're coming back to that eventually. Old Testament priests were clearly commanded by God not to drink alcoholic beverages. In chapter 10, Leviticus 10, verse 8, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, Thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generation. Boy, that was strong consequences. So the priests, if they drank, they would be put to death. That's a, quite a motive not to drink in it. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 7, but they, talking about the priests, also have erred through wine through strong drink out of the way. The priests and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They have swallowed up wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They've erred in vision. They stumble in judgment. So basically, because of the influence of alcohol, the priests were commanded by God not to drink. It would affect their vision for the people. It would affect their judgment. It would affect the decision they made. So God says, do not drink. Ezekiel 44, 21, neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. So God made it clear the spiritual leaders of the Old Testament were not to drink. But it's also true of New Testament pastors. New Testament pastors on their screen there, Titus chapter 1, verse 7. For a bishop, the word bishop is another word for elder or for pastor, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to what? Wine, 
No striker, not a filthy lucre, not given a filthy lucre. So God made it clear, spiritual leaders in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament were not to drink wine. But it's also true of government leaders. Government leaders, Proverbs 31, verse 4. It says, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes to drink uh, strong drink, lest they drink, forget the law, pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Basically, again, because of his influence. By the way, I wonder how that would eliminate one of our politicians <laughs> if they applied this scripture here. Those in government authority are not to drink because it affects one's judgment. It calls them to forget the law. God strictly forbids spiritual leaders and government leaders to not to drink. See, Pastor, how does that apply to me? I'm glad you asked. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, verse 5, unto them that unto him that loved us, washed us from our own sins in his own blood, and hath made us, what? Kings and priests unto God and his Father, to the him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are chosen generation, a royal, what? Priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should... Uh, Show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so basically, we may not hold the position of Old Testament priest. We may not hold the position of a New Testament pastor. But the Bible says you are kings and you are priests. So think about this a moment. What reason did God have for the priests and the pastors not to drink? It would affect their judgment. It would affect their discernment. It caused them to forget the law. Just because you're not a pastor or priest, does that mean you're, you're drinking will not affect you the same way? Of course it will. So the Bible says all of us are kings. One day we'll rule and reign with Christ on his kingdom. But also you are a royal priesthood. The book of Hebrews tells us how we to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So if we take these verses, we can apply them to us also. Next. Those who are consecrated God, a Nazarite was commanded not to drink. A Nazarite was commanded not to drink. Who do you know in the Bible was a Nazarite? There was one in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Samson was a Nazarite. Who else? John the Baptist was a Nazarite. It says here in Numbers chapter 6, verse 2, it said, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to be separate from the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. So God clearly tells us in the Bible, the Old Testament priest, the New Testament pastor, spiritual leaders not to drink. Government leaders are not to drink. And also a Nazarite. And the reason why, the influence it has upon their judgment, their discernment, and affects their lives and, and decisions they make. Next, I want to look at concerning Scripture. God severely judged his people for much drinking and drunkenness. God severely judged his people for much drinking and drunkenness. Go now to Isaiah 5, please. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. And when we get through a part one, part two, we're going to look at scripture that people use to justify drinking. We're going to look at scripture... Christians use to justify or support drinking in moderation. We'll look at that this morning also. So God severely judged his people for much drinking and drunkenness. Isaiah 5, verse 11, please. Page 988. 
Isaiah chapter 5. What's the first word? Woe. Now, he was not riding on a horse wanting a horse to stop. The word woe means judgment. Judgment unto them that rise up early in the morning, they, that they may follow strong drink, they continue until night to wine and flame them. Here's a man drinking all day long. He gets in the morning, during the day, and the evening till the wine inflamed them. In verse 12, talking about those that have parties and serve wine. And the harp and the vow and the tabret and the pipe, talking about music and wine, are in their feasts, about their parties, those that serve that. But they regard not the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. The word regard not means they pay no attention to, or have little regard to what God says and God does. So basically, those who drink much drinking and drunkenness have God's judgment. How do you know? Look in verse 22, chapter 5, verse 22. Here again, it speaks of government leaders. Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink. The word mighty and men of strength, talking about those musicians of power and authority. Verse 23, which justify the wicked for reward. They take bribes and justify wrongdoing and take away the righteous of the righteousness of the righteous from him. Basically, because of drinking, they take bribes, they justify wrongdoing, and how often we see that among our government leaders. God condemns that, says judgment unto them. Then he says in verse 24, therefore, because of this, Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, the flame consumeth the chaff, so the root shall be as rottenness, their blossoms shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, and he has stretched forth his hand against them and has smitten them. So God severely judged his people for much drinking and drunkenness. So number three, we're talking about what God says about drinking alcoholic drinks, beverages. God commands those in leadership to abstain from drinking. He's severely those who are involved in much drinking and drunkenness. And let us see, drinking adversely affects one's life and behavior. Drinking adversely affects one's life and behavior. Some of you were raised in a home where you had a parent that was an alcoholic know exactly what alcohol can do, know exactly the pain and suffering it brings. Let me give you several things. Drinking creates all sorts of problems. Go down to Proverbs 23, the verse we began with, that Pastor Bloom read together, page 954. Proverbs 23, drinking creates all sorts of problems. And it's mentioned here by the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. Proverbs 23, look in verse 29, please. Proverbs 23, 29. The first problem created by drinking is emotional problems. Emotional problems, he says there in verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath what? Sorrow. The answer is those that drink, those that tarry long at the drink. They have woe, they have sorrow, emotional problems. Next, social problems. Another problem created by drinking, social problems, talks about strife and complaints. Verse 29, the latter part, who hath contentions? 
Who hath babbling? Contention means strife, fighting. If you're raised in a home with an alcoholic, you know all the fighting and contention that went on there because of the influence of alcohol. Who hath that? So it has, creates emotional problems. Number two, social problems. Number three, physical problems. Physical problems are created by drinking. He talks about bruises and bloodshot eyes. Verse 29 again. The latter part. Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? The answer, they that tarry long at the wine. They that go in and seek makes wine. So they have wounds without cause. Drunkards don't realize they got all kind of bruises. Where did they come from? I don't know. <laughs> have wounds without cause and redness of eyes. And it says 31. Notice what he tells them. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself of right. What that refers to is someone who drinks a lot, they like the aroma. They take wine and circle it in a glass like this to smell it. That's what it's talking about here. When it moveth itself of right, verse 31. Verse 22, at last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like a what? Adder. That's what scripture says about it. So it creates emotional, social, physical, but also moral problems. Moral problems are created by drinking. It impairs moral judgment. Verse 33, thine eyes shall behold what? Strange woman. Men, what is a strange woman? Is any woman that's not your wife. <laughs> that's a strange woman that you should not have anything to do with. So basically, how many men who are not normally under normal conditions do something immoral because of alcohol they did? Moral problems. It goes on to say, thy heart shall utter perverse things, all kind of foul language and foul behavior because of drinking. Number five, here's more physical problems created by drinking. It impairs stability. It impairs stability. Verse 34, Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth down at the top of a mast. The mast is the very top part of the sailing ship. When there's a door in a storm, what's that thing doing? It's going back and forth, back and forth. Have you ever seen someone drunk walk? Back and forth. They drive back and forth. They impair stability. Next, it disables one's senses. It disables one's physical senses. Verse 35, said, They have stricken me, thou shalt say, I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. You ever notice someone involved in an accident is drunk? Those others are not drunk, usually are killed or harmed severely, but the drunk walks away free like nothing happened. It, it disables all his senses. Lastly, let us see, it's addictive. Now, we know that. You heard of alcoholism. It's called a disease. Verse 35, it's amazing. That a part of it. It said, when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. That's unbelievable. After going all these problems, when he wakes up, says, I want some more. <laughs> It's addictive. That's what alcohol would do for you, my friend. Proverbs 21, 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. If you think you can drink alcohol, it will not affect you, my friend. God says you are not wise. That's what the scripture says. But also, scripture strictly forbids drunkenness. Strict, scripture strictly forbids drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So many people that drink in moderation occasionally drink a little bit too much, and they get drunk. I wonder how many drinks you have to drink to be drunk. 
Uh, now, the uh, police officer has a certain amount that you can drive with, but the question is not what you think or what police officers think. What does God think? How many drinks does it take to begin to influence you in a negative way? I don't know. I never drank before. But you, many, some of you have, and you know exactly how it begins to influence you in our way. That's when it becomes clearly wrong. So we saw what God says about drinking alcoholic beverages. Now, the time we have remaining, let's look at the scripture used to justify drinking. Look at the scripture Christians will use to support the idea of drinking in moderation. Go with me now to John chapter 2, please. John chapter 2. This is where Jesus turned water into wine. And they will say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Surely it's okay to drink. John chapter 2, page 1485. They would justify, rationalize, drinking's okay, long's done in moderation, because Jesus himself turned water into wine. Interesting, the word wine in the Bible can either refer to simply grape juice or it can refer to alcoholic beverage. It does not say the context would tell us that. But I'm going to share with you, I believe when Jesus turned water into wine, he did not turn it into alcoholic beverages. I believe he turned it into the best tasting grape juice you ever tasted. And I'll tell you why. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day was, there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto him, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, Mary knew exactly Jesus was able to perform a miracle. She saw it many times as a boy. And so basically, he says, these people need wine. We're going to see later on they had a whole bunch of wine already. They ran out. They need more. So he wanted Jesus to turn water into wine. He said, my hour is not yet come. Basically, the, the part of his ministry performing miracles publicly has not yet started. However, this was the first miracle he performed and publicly. In verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Verse 6, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two to three firkins apiece. That means about nine gallons apiece, three times that. So these pots... There were six of them containing anywhere from 18 to 27 gallons apiece. It goes on to say in verse 7, Then saith, Jesus saith unto them, fill, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear it unto the governor of the feast, and they have bear it. Verse 9, When the ruler of the priests had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants withdrew the water new. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then which is worse, but thou hast kept the, the good wine until now. Basically what he's saying here, during a wedding feast, they would give the best wine first. And after all that's gone, they'd give the worst last. And so basically, he goes on to say, and they have well drunk. Basically, 
They had the word drunk, they can you look it up in a, a Greek dictionary, it can either mean they had plenty, had all they wanted, or it means they were well intoxicated. So if you say this was wine with alcohol, it say they well intoxicated, and now Jesus makes more. Now think about that a moment. Think about that. Basically, the same God who said, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? They that tarry long in wine and seek mixed wine. He said, look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth the color right, when moveth itself. At the last it biteth like a serpent, drink, and stingeth like an adder. Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is received thereby is not wise. In other words, if Jesus, knowing they were well drunk, and now makes more alcoholic beverage to give them, they've moved from moderation now to excess. And basically, you say, the Lord's condoning drunkenness. I believe this was the best grape juice they ever tasted. Of all the grape juice ever tasted, Jesus made this. This was the best. That's what I believe. Now you say, I don't believe that, Pastor. Well, you have the right to do that. But that's what I believe. Next, the next scripture used to support alcoholic drinking is the drink used at the Last Supper. Do not turn there for the sake of time. At the Last Supper, Jesus served, told the apostles to drink wine. Matthew 26, 27 says this. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many in the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in the Father's kingdom. Basically, they did not call it wine. It's called not wine, but the fruit of the vine. Now you say, Pastor, wine is the fruit of the vine. Yes, it is. But so is grape juice. So I believe... He would serve grape juice. Next, another scripture used to support justified drinking, Paul's instruction to Timothy to drink wine. Paul's instruction to Timothy to drink wine. First, P, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. It's on the screen. Look what Paul told Timothy. Verse 23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. So here is Paul instructs Timothy, a young preacher, a young pastor, to drink wine for his stomach problems. In other words, do this for medicinal purposes because you have stomach problems. And so I do not believe this was alcoholic beverage. Let me tell you why. The context we saw there in chapter 5 is to drink it, but back in chapter 2, as a pastor, you're not to drink wine. Why do they say in chapter 2, pastor not be given wine? Now turn around and say, you ought to drink wine. He said, pastor, there's an exception because of his physical problems. What were his physical problems? It said stomach sake, infirmities. Scholars believe that he possibly had gastritis or stomach ulcers, which both drinking alcohol would irritate and produce more acid and make it worse. Whereas with stomach problems such as this, Medical advice is to drink low-acid fruit juices such as apple or grape juice. So I believe the Holy Spirit knew exactly what was wrong with Timothy and instructed Paul and his patient to drink grape juice for your stomach problems. Now, that's my opinion. You may not agree with that. Another verse of Scripture to justify drinking in Proverbs 31 where they're told to give wine to those that are dying. To give wine to those that are dying. It said in Proverbs 31, verse 6, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, 
and wine to those that are heavy hearts. Let him drink, forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. They were talking about those in extreme physical or mental distress. I believe the idea here was, today if someone is dying of cancer and he has a few days, maybe a few moments to live, what do the doctors recommend? Let's give him some strong painkiller to be able to die peacefully and, and without pain comfortably. Sometimes it's morphine. And so that's what they was used back then. There's a man dying. Let's give him some wine to help him with that problem there. But you should not use this to justify drinking in an everyday way. So it's used for extreme physical and mental distress. Now there's other scriptures we could turn to, but time will not permit. Next week, excuse me, two weeks from today, we're going to talk about five biblical principles to encourage abstinence, and then we're going to talk about we should never forget the seriousness of excessive drinking. So let's close with one verse. Let me skip way ahead. Go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to close with this. Page 1607. When you find that, look up here, please. I realize right here today there's probably difference of opinion. Some of you feel nothing wrong with drinking in moderation. Maybe you have a glass of wine at home occasionally and drink a beer occasionally. And you say, it's all right, I'm going to get drunk. And the difference of opinion. And so uh, this is an area men can disagree on well, and still be two good men. There are a lot of pastors that do not believe what I'm preaching. They say it's okay to drink as long as it's done in moderation. And some of you may believe that. But I believe, get ahead of myself, if you take Scripture as a whole, not just certain verses justify your drinking. Take all of the Old New Testament. And wisdom would tell you, at least I should abstain from it because it blurs my judgment, clouds my discernment. At least I honestly would say, out of 85% of drinking verses, all of it's negative, not positive. The wise Christian should abstain from doing it. And that, that's what I encourage you to do. Now you say, Pastor, I'm going to have my glass of wine. I still love you. I'm not saying you're sinful. I'm just saying, if you're going to do something, base it upon God's word as, as a whole. And I believe if you take God's word as a whole, the wise Christian will say, you know, wisdom say I shouldn't do it. And I'm going to tell you more about that in a moment. And the next time we're together. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Look what it says. And look for the word drunkenness. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers themselves of mankind. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor what? Drunkards, nor revilers, nor sorcerers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, we see the seriousness of excess drinking. And drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if we stop right there, we'd think anyone who got drunk would not go to heaven. But I want you to read, read the next verse. Verse 9. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 11. And such were some of you. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were homosexuals. The word infeminate there, abuse of themselves. Some of you were covetous. 
such were. But notice here what it happens, the Bible says. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. The blood of Christ, listen carefully, please, can make the prostitute as like she's a virgin. Make the drunkard, though if he never drank at all. The word justified means to declare righteous. It literally means just if I had never sinned. When a person has any of these things in his background, comes to Jesus Christ and trusts Christ as Savior, the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin to the point in God's sight as though if you've never sinned before. Amen. That's what the blood of Christ can do for you. So maybe you have that background. Maybe you know someone that does. My friend, it does not necessarily mean a Christian cannot drink. We have examples that Noah drunk. Remember what happened to him? Lot drunk. Got drunk. What happened to him? He committed incest with his daughters. Yet the Bible says in 1 Peter that he was a, a saved man. So a person can drink. Does that mean he's not saved? But basically, what I was talking about here, this was the background of these Corinthian believers. But it says, you know what? You've been washed. You've been set apart unto God. And you've been justified. How can someone with that background continue therein? Seeing what the blood of Christ is done for him. Let's bow together, please. Again, as your pastor, I just want you to understand what the Bible says about an issue that is so prevalent in, among Christians today. And then whatever you do, the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I do not believe a person can drink to God's glory. I don't believe a person can drink and bring honor to the Lord. That's my opinion. But the Bible clearly says that whether you eat or therefore drink, whatever you do, do it to the honor and glory of God. You have to come to your own conclusion. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, lay aside the idea of drinking to the side. The issue of going to heaven is not what you drink or what you do not drink. The issue is what you do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came to this earth for a sole purpose. He came to this earth to die on the cross to pay for your sin. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says because we've sinned, we have earned the judgment of a holy, righteous God. The wages of our sin is death. And the Bible clearly says we cannot save ourselves. Our works, our behavior, our conduct will not merit favor with God, cannot save us, will not get us to heaven. So in that desperate condition, God sent a Savior, his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ came to this world to pay for your sin. The payment for your sin is death. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He died. Who did he die for? He died for you and me. He made a complete payment for all our sin, past, present, future. He died, he was buried, and rose again. And now the Father in heaven offers you eternal life, forgiveness, at the expense of his son. Your part is by faith, receive the payment Christ made for you on the cross and trust him to save you, to forgive you and give you eternal life. If you've never done that before, done that before why not do it right now? Take God's word and trust Christ as your savior. See, pastor, boy, that's good news. And yes, it is. And if you never trusted Christ but like to do it today, why not get it settled right now as we close our service? In the quietness of your mind, right where you sit, you can talk to the truly living God, and you can place your dependence, your trust in Christ to be your Savior. 
And when you do that, God will forgive you and heaven become your home. You say, Pastor, I like to do that, but I don't know what to say. Talk to God in your own thoughts and say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I realize I cannot save myself. But I believe that when Jesus Christ died, he died for me. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. He was buried and rose again. And right here today, I want to trust him to be my savior. Trust him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. How again, God, I'm a sinner. Christ died for my sin. I want to trust him to save me and forgive me and give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as your Savior today? If you did, according to the Bible, heaven's your home. That's God's promise. God cannot lie. But I'd like to know if anyone did that today. I'd like to rejoice with you. Heaven's your home. You have eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. There's nothing greater than that. I'd like to pray for those who made that decision today. And so one moment, I'm going to ask you if you did that today for the first time to simply raise your hand. One moment. Let me explain to you. Raise your hand doesn't save you. I want to pray for you. My prayer for you does not save you. It's your faith, your trust in Christ that God saves you. But if you made that decision today and trusted Christ with heads bowed and eyes are closed, no one look around, would you simply raise your hand in case you did that today so I can pray for you? And we're all, Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me this morning? And we're all. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you that forgiveness is not something we earn or merit or gain of our works. It's given freely at the expense of Christ. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, God offers forgiveness and a home in heaven free to us at great cost to his son. And those who trust Christ as Savior, heaven's our home. But Father, now that we're saved, God, you've given us a manual for life, a handbook on how to live, the Bible. And the Bible has so much to say about this issue of drinking. So often we adopt our behavior what the world thinks or what the world does without stopping to ask what God thinks. What does God say? I pray, Father, no matter what opinion a person may have about this issue of drinking, if they're believers, they would seek to honor the Lord. They would seek to apply what Scripture says about this area of their life. They would seek, to, whether they eat or drink, whether they do, to bring honor and glory to God. Help us, Father, do that with every area of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.